one of the things on my bucket list is that someday I would like to go to China. It just seems like such a fascinating country to me. And, and I'd want to do all the touristy things, you know. I'd want to visit the Great Wall, you know, along with like six billion other people. I'd walk the massive courtyards of the Forbidden City. And then maybe take a selfie with those terracotta soldiers. I'd be the total tourist. But one thing I've heard that tourists need to be aware of is that China is also the land of the knockoffs. Knockoffs, you know, they're cheap imitations of well-known products designed to fool the consumer into thinking you're getting a good deal when in reality all you're, all you're getting is junk. So if you're going shopping in China, you have to be pretty careful. Now, some knockoffs are, are easy to spot. No American tourist is going to buy computers from the Microsoft Binbo's store, right? And nobody's going to buy a tube of crust toothpaste. I mean, that's just wrong on so many levels. And if you stop in for a Frappuccino at the Sunbucks coffee shop, I mean, they're not fooling anybody, right? A lot of knockoffs are easy to spot. But the best knockoffs, the best counterfeits, are closest to the truth closest to the real thing, they're not so easy to spot. So you have to really you know your stuff to make sure you're not getting ripped off. The same thing applies when it comes to what we believe about God, the ideas that we have about ourselves and about faith. There are a lot of counterfeit ideas out there, a lot of frauds and knockoffs when it comes to what people teach about Jesus, about the Bible, about salvation, about life in general. A lot of bad ideas that can lead to bad consequences for the person who gets fooled into thinking that they've got a hold of the real deal. Eternal consequences for some false ideas, like you know, that you can earn your way to heaven by doing you know, more good deeds than bad deeds in your life. That's a counterfeit idea. That's a knockoff. A popular knockoff, I'll, I'll give you that but still a false idea that will lead many people away from trusting in Jesus for their salvation with perhaps eternal consequences. This week I got a phone call from someone in the church asking questions about a supposedly Christian group that he had encountered. And I'd never heard of this group, so it kind of set me off on a mini research mission. And it was amazing how difficult it was to find accurate information about this group, what it actually believes and teaches, and how it actually carries out its ministry. It was kind of cloaked with lots of layers of generic information, and then these circular websites and endorsing groups, which seemed you know, kind of cleverly designed just to validate each other. They used a lot of the right-sounding Christian words, but in the end for me, you know, it just didn't pass the smell test. Something about it wasn't right. But how do you know? How do you know if what a group is teaching is really a true presentation of the Christian faith and the Bible? How do you know if what you believe is really true? Or maybe you've swallowed some half-truths or outright falsehoods about God or how to live the Christian life. How do we discern truth from error when it comes to the Christian faith? Well, we are not alone in this dilemma. The problem of counterfeit Christianity, of false teachings, and people trying to kind of peddle knockoffs to the true faith, that's been going on since the beginning of the church in the first century. The New Testament is full of warnings about false teachers. From Jesus warning about the destructive teachings of the Pharisees to the apostles trying to protect the young believers from being deceived and led astray. For example, let's look at our passage for this morning from 1 John 
chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It's a warning from the Apostle John to the early followers of Jesus on exactly this issue. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. John writes, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are uh, from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. This is our third week into a message series on the nine core values that kind of define who we are as a congregation. Nine core values that form the foundation, the backbone of our new denomination, nicknamed ECO. And so far we've looked at two of those, the Jesus-shaped identity and biblical integrity. And the third core value that is essential to growing healthy disciples is a thoughtful theology. A thoughtful theology, defined this way by ECO. We believe in theological education, constant learning, and the life of the mind, and celebrate this as one of the treasures of our Reformed heritage. Now, I found that often the idea of theology makes a lot of people nervous. They associate theology, you know, with big books, long gray beards, and and bigger arguments, you know. People view theology with suspicion because thinking that maybe theology is really what's responsible for all the divisions among Christians, that theological arguments, they just generate a lot of heat but not a lot of light. That theology turns faith in Christ into something that's dry and dusty and boring, you know, just an intellectual exercise that stifles the flow of the Holy Spirit. And all of that is certainly possible. But what I want us to understand today is that maturing believers in Christ should embrace thoughtful theology because good theology is essential for spiritual growth and health. The first thing we have to understand is that every person on the planet is already a theologian. Whether they know it or not, every person is a theologian. Every person has beliefs. Beliefs about themselves, beliefs about the world we live in, beliefs about whether or not there even is a God. And if so, then what kind of God is there? Those are all theological questions. Even atheists are theologians. They believe something about God. They believe God does not exist, and then they have to have reasons for why they believe that way. Every person is a theologian. All of us here today, everybody that you're going to meet throughout this week, It is impossible to go through life without forming some theory about the spiritual world and the material world. So the real question is not whether or not we're going to be theologians, but whether or not we're going to be sound Christian theologians. And again, some people will object just to this whole idea of theology. They'll say, you know, I don't need theology. I just believe in Jesus and the Bible. You know, isn't that enough? Well, then you have to ask, you know, well, tell me what is it that you actually believe about Jesus? Because 
people believe and teach a lot of different things about him. There are groups that teach that Jesus was you know, just a normal man who became God's son because of his obedience. He was a man who was sort of adopted as God's son, and he serves primarily as an example for how others can you know, be adopted as God's sons too. Is that what you believe? And that person might say, well, no. And if they go on then to try and describe Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, born incarnate of the Virgin Mary, you're going to have to stop him and say, wait a minute, guess what? That's theology. That's called your Christology, what you believe about Jesus. And if you believe he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, well, that's theology too. That's called soteriology the study of salvation. And if you believe Jesus is coming back again at some point in the future, well, that's theology too. That's called eschatology, the study of the end times. People may not want to think they engage in theological conversation, but it is unavoidable if you're talking about issues of faith. Every Christian is a theologian. The big question is, will we do theology well? Will we think deeply and clearly and consistently? Will our theology be in line with Scripture? Or do we just kind of make it up as we go along? Make it up as it suits us? Or will we just kind of follow the fads of our culture, accommodate our beliefs to the pressures of the secular world? I mean, I've known pastors who are real chameleons. I mean, whose beliefs kind of change depending on which church they're in. Will we just go by our feelings and our emotions with whatever the new popular thing is? Or will we wrestle with how to apply the eternal truths of God revealed in Scripture to our time, to the glory of Christ our Lord? Friends, we need thoughtful theology. Because shallow theology leads to shallow Christians. And shallow Christians have a hard time contributing to the healthy spread of the gospel. Shallow Christians are not much help when it comes to building a vibrant church community that seriously honors and serves Jesus Christ. This is an important issue for the church today because there seems to be a a growing anti-intellectualism among many Christians. Not not just about Christian things, but in general there's, there's a cultural shift going on away from kind of the rational age of the Enlightenment to more a modern age where you just have to trust your feelings and your own gut. If it feels good to you, then it must be right. Our world no longer believes in any kind of absolute truth, any kind of moral truth. And that attitude definitely then infects and affects a lot of people in the church as well. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't want to have to think too deeply about what they believe. Life's so busy, they're kind of content with a few spiritual-sounding platitudes, a few motivational verses from the Bible to get them through the week. And then that's about it. And even more, unfortunately, this kind of shallow Christianity is often reinforced by what they hear from their pastors. Pastors have become more like motivational speakers who have to kind of whip up the crowd each Sunday, get the folks all jazzed up, get that emotion going, and that emotion, as good as it might feel, is misconstrued to be the same thing as the blessing and presence of the Holy Spirit. There's a tremendous amount of ignorance in the church today about basic Christian doctrine. As J.I. Packer points out in his excellent book, Knowing God, ignorance lies at the root of much of the church's weaknesses. Poor theology leads to a less than adequate understanding of what it means to be a Christian, which in turn leads to a less than adequate witness of the gospel. 
a few months ago, my wife Donna was working on the planning for the women's conference that we hosted in February called the IF Gathering. And the IF Gathering is something fairly new, and so they needed to post sort of a doctrinal statement so that everyone would know, you know, kind of what they were all about, what they believed. And the organizers wanted to make the broadest possible appeal to women throughout the Christian church. And so they chose the Nicene Creed as their statement of faith because it's the earliest creed of the church. It's the one creed that from the very beginning all Christians agreed to. The Nicene Creed is what defines what it means to actually be a Christian. Well, they were amazed at the pushback that they received. All these emails came in. What's this creed? I've never heard of it. Is it biblical? My church doesn't believe in creeds and on and on and on. The pushback revealed an amazing level of just pure ignorance from Christians about their own faith. I mean, historically speaking, if you don't believe the Nicene Creed, you're not a Christian. I mean, I I don't blame the women who sent in those emails. I blame their pastors who have done such a terrible job in teaching the, the depth and the breadth of the Christian faith. You see, ever since the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century that kind of broke up the monopoly of the Roman Catholic Church that it had on religion and Western Europe, there's been this tension between head and heart. Which is more important for church leaders? Intellectual wisdom to get our faith right or our passionate love for Christ that just kind of sets people on fire? One way to see how this difference kind of played out is to look at at how the, the spread of the gospel took place across middle America during the 1700s and the early 1800s. The Presbyterians and people from kind of the Reformed churches believed in the importance of having an educated clergy. So in order to spread the gospel, you know what they did? They planted colleges and universities that were originally established to train pastors in the classic way, Hebrew and Greek, so pastors could study the Bible in the original languages, Latin and German, so that they could study the writings of the great theologians and the early church fathers. They wanted educated clergy who could then lead their churches deep into the truth of God. The college I attended in Indiana, Hanover College, was founded in 1827 as a school for frontier pastors. It kind of lost that mission over the years, but that's how it got started. In fact, the first hundred colleges and universities in the United States were all founded for the very purpose of training pastors, Yale, Harvard, Princeton. Raising up an educated clergy so that in many towns throughout New England and the Mid-Atlantic states and the Midwest, in those days, the pastors were the most highly educated people in the community. And so they also served as judges and notaries and lawyers and other professions. The Methodists, on the other hand, didn't focus much on education. They just looked for, you know, fired up followers of Jesus, people who could preach a fiery sermon and kind of put the fear of God into farmers and settlers. And they focused on sending out pastors who were circuit riders, some who were barely literate, but who were just passionate for Christ. And they, and they grew their churches that way. Now, each of these approaches has its strength and its weaknesses. The weakness of the Presbyterian approach focused on, you know, an educated clergy is that their preaching and teaching could become pretty dry and dull and disconnected from everyday life. The pastor kind of just drones on and on about topics that are interesting to him, but don't really connect with people in the pews. And maybe that's why the Presbyterians kind of became known as the frozen chosen. You know, their worship lacked fire. 
But the weakness of the Methodist approach was one disastrous church implosion after another. Fiery preachers often get burned, or others get burned because of them. And it was easier for false teachers to find a following among folks who did not know the depth of teaching and the truth in the Bible. If faith is all emotion, well, emotions change pretty quickly and you end up with you know, the same people getting saved over and over and over again every time a new revival came to town. Now, I'm glad that I became a Christian and a pastor through the Reformed Presbyterian stream of Christianity. I'm glad there was and there is this emphasis on having a highly educated clergy. I, I take the Apostle Paul's words to young Pastor Timothy very seriously in 2 Timothy 2.15 where he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who, is not, who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. I feel it's a huge responsibility before God to correctly handle the word of truth, to correctly teach the word of God. So I'm glad, I'm glad that I had to take ancient Greek and Hebrew and that I can study the Bible in the original languages. I'm glad that I had to study theology and church history and all the rest so I can make sure that what we preach and teach accurately reflects the truth of scripture and then also incorporates the vast history of Christian teaching that has gone on for the last 2,000 years. This doesn't mean that a seminary education is an absolute necessity for pastors. There's an awful lot taught in seminaries these days that's a complete waste of time and doesn't prepare people to be effective pastors or serve Christ at all. But the church loses something important if it loses the core value of having highly educated leaders. One of the things that troubles me is the rise of the independent churches and non-denominational churches where the pastors sort of think that the Christian faith began with them, that the whole Christian thing began when they came on the scene and they have little sense of the fact that Christians have faced the same issues over and over again for the last 2,000 years, that we have this tremendous resource to draw from in the collective wisdom of the whole church. So I get the problem. On the one hand, Nobody wants to listen to, you know, Dr. Thaddeus Theobor, you know, kind of drone on and on about stuff that doesn't make sense to anyone. But we also don't want to have, you know, just Pastor Popcorn entertaining the crowds with, you know, paper-thin theology, resorting to gimmicks and, and, quite frankly, little spiritual nutrition. I mean, I like popcorn, but it's not a meal. There's got to be a middle point between the two where we can serve the Lord with our intelligence, with education, and yet be wholly passionate for Jesus. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven that the greatest commandment was you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The purpose of a thoughtful theology is to get your whole self engaged in serving Christ, to get your whole self awakened to the fullness of Christ and to treasure him above all things. Good theology should help you love Jesus more. Jesus called his followers to worship God in spirit and in truth. That's John 4, 2. Later he added that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's John 8, 32. It's a false dichotomy to say it's either the mind or the heart. The mind informs the heart, but the heart also inspires the mind. That's why a thoughtful theology is so important. It teaches us what the truth is and then allows the Spirit to set that truth on fire. 
truth on fire for Christ. That's what the church needs today. People who know their faith and who are on fire for the Lord. Spiritual maturity means moving past kind of just this surface level of Christian teachings. Spiritual maturity means digging deeper into the gold mine that is Scripture and being able to clearly and forcefully articulate what a saving faith is all about. Good theology allows us to take a life that has been touched by Jesus, a life that's been exposed to the power of the Bible, and to make those things rich and full and complete. Without sound theology, people drift. Good theology is an anchor. It's an anchor for you when you go through stormy times, when your feelings go numb, when sound doctrine is very practical in that it will affect everything you do and think and feel. Knowing the truth about who God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, how we can live in God's grace and salvation and hope and power, that's what makes your faith come alive. Dr. James Kennedy once wrote that ours is an era of malnourished church members who have been spoon-fed tapioca and cheesecake religion until their spiritual stomachs are bloated and their hearts are clogged with the cholesterol of meaningless drivel. I am determined that that will not be true here. Does good theology matter? Yes, it does. God has taken it upon himself to reveal his son to us through his word. He has taken great pains to let us know that the Holy Spirit is here to guide us into the truth of Jesus' teachings. But we have to do our part by opening our hearts to the Spirit's work, but also by engaging our minds, our God-given intellect, so that we can rightly discern God's leading. We want our faith to have substance and weight and durability and strength, and that requires a thoughtful theology. We want to be able to test the Spirit's to discern rightly the leading of the Lord. We don't want to be fooled by knockoffs or counterfeits. So let's celebrate this important value. This core value is one of the great treasures of the Reformed heritage, the Reformed flavor of Christianity that we are. Let us grow our faith to maturity in Christ by knowing as much as we can about him with our minds and yet also passionately serving him from our hearts. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you want to engage us as a total person. Body, soul, heart, mind. You want all of us to give our very best in all of those areas to you, Lord. And so we do want to have minds that think clearly and fully about what it is that we believe. Help us to not be afraid of theology, but to embrace it. To see it as a gift, Lord, as as you have taught so much in the New Testament, the importance of having sound doctrine, Lord. But doctrine that's on fire for you. Truth inspired by the Spirit, Lord. That's what we seek. And we thank you in your name we pray. Amen.